Good to be together this morning, and it's really good to, in a sense, dust off some of these old practices that we haven't had a chance to do for a while. It was amazing to uh, do a baby dedication for the first time uh, in years. I, um, yeah, I'm just grateful that we as a community have come together over many years and many seasons to dedicate children, to baptize new believers, to engage in following Jesus in community together the way he's called us to. Um, and it's, it's awesome, again, just to be able to do some things that we didn't get to do years ago as things are kind of, in a sense, reopening, if you will, you know. Um, I know there's still elements of, of wisdom and elements of needing to just navigate wisely with faith. Um, but in many ways, a lot of the things that we missed prior are, are slowly reengaging and coming back. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about, and this ties to the, the talk I'll be giving today, is the fact that um, one of the big pieces I think that has shifted and changed um, is actually communion, uh, the Lord's Supper. And so this morning, uh, I want to do kind of a, a one-off, if you will, or, or take a moment and talk about what it is that, that we celebrate when we celebrate communion and when we, when we take the Lord's Supper together. And part of the heart behind this, and the reason is, again, when the, when the pandemic happened, if you guys remember, when it first started uh, back in like March 2020 when things went on lockdown, like we were all sitting at home and we would have to say to you guys, hey, we're going to do communion today. Like go grab whatever's in your kitchen and, and, and bring it to your computer, right? And you'd grab whatever you had and you'd sit down and we'd walk through and we'd have this moment of doing that. Um, what many of you guys didn't know is that as I was teaching, I'd be sitting in my basement and I'd have my collared shirt on up front, I'd have my sweatpants on the bottom and business up top, you know, and just chillaxing on bottom, right? Um, and so a lot of things shifted, a lot of things changed, but slowly as we began to meet in person again, um, you know, it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't safe, we didn't feel good about doing communion, you know, regularly and, and the forms of it changed. And so for a while we gathered, we didn't even do it. And then there was a while we were using those little cups, right? And those things were so awkward. Actually, I was at a gathering yesterday and um, kind of this training and, and those little cups were on the table at the end of it. And the guy had to tell us, and there was actually this secret that we missed like all throughout this whole time. It's like you, you bend and pop it first and then you fold it back. I'm so sorry that for like a year and a half, we've had you guys struggling through that. Like, the, Anyways, I digress. Um, one of the things that we, we were really grateful to do on Good Friday, for those of you that were with us, is that we got to take communion together in a form and a format that was uh, a little more normal or usual. We actually had cups um, that had juice that were poured by someone prayerfully done in service for this community. We had uh, bread that was broken, again, prayerfully and prepared uh, for the community to take and to have a more tangible experience of, of what we've known over for many of us over you know our history of walking with Jesus, just a, a little bit more robust you know piece of bread or cracker that represents the body of Christ broken and the, the, the cup that represents the, the blood of Christ uh, poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And um, so this morning we're, we're in a sense, I'm wanting to lead us and guide us and institute in a new way again of taking communion. Uh, on these tables we have again the individually poured juice and we have these bread that was uh, cut up perfectly. Um, it was an honor for me to do that this week and just prepare it. And so I want to talk about this morning, yeah, again, what is communion? What is the Lord's Supper? And, and, and why do we do it? As we enter back in, and it'll be, again, a, a new regular rhythm that we'll do on a weekly basis in, in kind of a new form, I want to make sure that we're, we're doing it informed. I want to make sure that we're doing it with a proper theological foundation, understanding of, of what it is and why we do it. Um, 
because it's not only about the form shifting, but I think it's also about some of the conversations that I've, I've been having within our community over the months that I think this is valuable and important before we move on to our, our next series, which we'll, we'll kick off next week. And so I want to jump in. Um, and if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew 26. If you don't have one, there's no, pro- there's no problem. Um, it should be on the screen above. But I want to start by reading uh, where Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew institutes the Lord's Supper, uh, and it goes like this. Uh, God's Word says this to us this morning, Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. It says, And now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. So just looking at this passage, we can, I just want to do kind of a basic, in a sense, the Lord's Supper, what is it and why, just really quick. The Lord's Supper is celebrating or remembering what Jesus is saying here, that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. It's one of the two sacraments that Jesus himself instituted, the the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament then of of communion. And and why we take it is because Jesus himself instituted, he instructed his disciples to do it, and he commanded them to do so. In this reading here of Matthew, there's not the phrase, do this in remembrance of me, but there is the instruction, take and eat. These are not suggestions. These are, in a sense, commands or instructions to his disciples. But in Luke's uh, gospel, in chapter 22, where he records it, there is that command of do this in remembrance of me. It's a very clear instruction that Jesus says to, to do this. And he says to do it, why? He says, do it in remembrance of me. You've maybe heard me say, if you've been at Missy for a while, that I, I believe remember is actually one of the most often or most common commandments that God has given to his people all throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, in different ways and in different forms. There's this command or this instruction to remember why? Because we're forgetful people. <laughs> but this command an instruction to, to remember, and to remember what? I, I want to read for you uh, a, a little bigger the, the context of, of how and where and why this is taking place so that we remember why we're remembering, okay? So if we look up then at Matthew, still in chapter 26, but verses 17 um, down to 25, this is, this is Jesus' command to remember. He says this, He says, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12 and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand into the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. See, so here's the context, and here's what Jesus is, is declaring them to remember. What Jesus is actually doing as he institutes the very first time that the Lord's Supper is taken, the very first time that communion is taken together, it's, we're told that Jesus is actually celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
and he's celebrating the Passover meal, which was the first meal that would kick off that, that festival for the, for the Israelites, for the Jewish people. And Jesus, as a Jew, with his disciples, was celebrating that meal with them. Now, why is that important? What's, what's the remembrance there? What is Passover? Jesus is referring back to in Exodus 12 when the people were in slavery, right? They'd been in slavery for many years. And God had told them, I'm going to set you free. After all of these plagues, the final plague that was coming for Pharaoh and Egypt for enslaving the people was that there was going to be death of the firstborn. And what God told the people was, look, tonight I'm, I'm going to free you. Now, after so many years of slavery, whether or not they believed, I don't know. Was that a challenge? Was that a struggle? I don't know. But I think it was. Why? And that's why God says, I, I need you to trust me in something. I want you to do something that might seem a little weird, a little awkward, but I need you to do this. I want you to do this. And those that do it, you'll be saved. And what was it that they had to do? They had to take a perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb. They had to take it, they had to kill it, and they had to take the blood and smear it over the threshold, threshold of their home. They had to spend the, the night in their home that night, waiting, but being ready and prepared for God to come and do what He promised He would do, which was to spare the lives and free the people when they trusted in the, 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 the command to allow that blood to be over their threshold as a protection for them so that God could identify them, each home, that night as he came through and to know that those that are under this protection of this blood, as my instruction has provided for them, they, are, they trust in me. And because they trust in me, they will be free. They will be set free from slavery. They will, they will enter into a new phase of life. And that's what Jesus was remembering. That's what Jesus was actually celebrating at Passover at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread with his disciples. Now, we know on this side that that passage, that journey that took place in Exodus 12 was actually a foreshadowing and a forecasting to something else. It was to this. That there was to be another lamb whose blood would be shed. And for all those who looked upon and believed in the shedding of that blood on their behalf, allowed themselves, in a sense, to be under the blood of, over their threshold, submitting themselves and believing in God's promise and provision for their freedom, for their salvation, that was pointing ahead to Jesus. And that's what we celebrate here. That's what Jesus, in essence, is saying, do this in remembrance of me, that I am the one to, that came and fulfilled that. I am the one that has done that for you. Every other sacrifice, every other instance where God throughout history with his people commanded there to be a shedding of blood to create a covenant, to provide for freedom, to provide for forgiveness, to provide for an absolution, all of that was pointing ahead to me the day when I would come and my blood would be shed for the forgiveness of sins for the world. My iPad just decided to update, I kid you not. It finally finished. <laughs> I hit the wrong button as we were doing the child dedication. I'm like, uh. So now I'll, now I'll be able to read a quote that I want to read for you in a little bit here. No. So, but here, so, here's what, so here's what we're doing. is in taking communion, that's what we're remembering. That's what we're celebrating. And I, I want to put this um, in context for you for a bit here. That as followers of Jesus, um, we're reminded through communion actually that, that we live life at the intersection of a lot of different things. And I want to look back again at the context to, to show us one of, those, one of those intersections. One of the big intersections that we live at and that this table represents is an intersection of, of sorrow and of celebration, intersection of sin and forgiveness, the intersection of brokenness and unity, it's an intersection of suffering and of hope, and it's an intersection of longing and fulfillment of promise. 
And I, I, the reason I want to talk about these is because, again, I, I think us being able to take communion again more freely and reestablishing this rhythm, this sacrament together, if you will, I think there's, a, again, a more robust a theological heart that I, I, wanted, I believe God wanted us to understand and think through, and that I want us to think through as a community. And again, it's understanding these intersections, sorrow and celebration, sin and forgiveness, brokenness and unity, suffering and hope, longing and fulfillment. So again, back in the, the context when we read it of, of Matthew 26, verses 17 through, through 25, we're told there that he's not only getting together to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, but he says to them, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And in verse 22, they, he, they say to him, all of them, it says they're very sorrowful, and they begin to say to them, him one after another, Lord, is it I? See, that this celebration of this table, it is a celebration, but it's a celebration that doesn't happen without understanding the reality of sorrow, the reality of, of brokenness. And I think for us to take this communion and to come to the table each week when we do or whenever we do, it's needing to understand the, the reality of both of those, the, the coupling of both. I appreciate actually um, uh, Soong Chan Ra in his book, Prophetic Lament, he says this about the Lord's table. Uh, and this has helped frame the, the, these realities of these intersections that I'm going to be talking about today. He says this in his book, he says, the Lord's table provides the opportunity for the church to operate at the intersection of celebration and suffering. In 1 Corinthians 11.26, we're reminded that we have the opportunity to proclaim the Lord's death in remembering Jesus' suffering on our behalf. We discover our mutual and common dependence on the body of Christ broken for us. It is not merely the symbolic act of the Lord's table that unites us, but the commitment to the broken body and the actual embodiment of unity. The suffering narrative that informs the Lord's table is an expression of lament that is necessary for the unity found in the body of Christ but the necessary condition for the celebration of the Lord's Supper is lament. So we speak of and talk about the table being an act of celebration, and it is, it should be. But before it can be an act of celebration, it has to be an act of lament. Lament mean why? What for? Acknowledging sin. Acknowledging brokenness in our world. And acknowledging sin and brokenness in my life. See, Jesus says very clearly here when he said to them, take and eat this, this is my body, in verse 25. In verse 27, he said, drink all of you, this is my blood. He says in 28, and he says, of the new covenant, which is poured out for what? For many, for the forgiveness of sins. I think that's important for us to realize and understand that this table is about and acknowledging the representation of the reality of sin in our world. And the reality of sin in your life and my life. Even though I'm a follower of Jesus, I still choose sin sometimes. Sin being, from a scriptural perspective, missing the mark or falling short of the glory of God, meaning and understanding that God has created and designed everything in this world to function in an order and in a way that he designed it to. And when we stray from that, when we move from that in many different areas, we're actually, that, that's sin. We're missing the mark or we're doing things in a way that is not going to fully express the glory for which God intended them to do. I appreciate a friend of mine, Josh Chen, he's, he, he's defined sin over the years this way as we've talked, and he said that it's looking for life where there is no life. See, if, if we believe that God is the author of life, the creator of all of life, then God has designed again and ordained things to be, operate and function in a certain way in order for what? In order for it to be experienced as the fullness of life. But when we choose to do things in our own way or in the culture's way, according to the world, and we're not doing it according to God's way and God's design, we're actually looking to find life in something where there is no life. Are you tracking with me? 
And so Jesus is really clear that this table represents his body broken, his blood shed for what? For the forgiveness of sin. And I think why that's important for us to talk about is because sometimes the table can be explained even in modern Christian day circles. of it's, it's, it's a way of expressing that God's table is open and welcome to everyone. Yeah. It's a way of speaking of God's hospitality to the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a way of representing that no matter what you're going through, Jesus identifies with you and he's with you in it. Yes, that's true, but that's not the actual theological depth understanding of, of why and how you're welcome at his table and why he's walking with you in the midst of your suffering. You, you guys tracking with me? Those, those are, in a sense, shallow glimpses of the true meaning and understanding of what this table is. It's the representation of the lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I know even as I'm talking about sin, some of us are uncomfortable with that because our culture is training us to be uncomfortable with talking about sin. It's taboo in our culture to talk about sin. But for us as followers of Jesus, it ought to actually be a normal thing to talk about the reality and understanding of sin, especially if we proclaim to be an authentic community that makes Jesus Christ fully known so that others can come to fully know him. The reason why we hold out authenticity as one of our values and, and espouse to be an authentic community is because we believe that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? And we also acknowledge that we are in process of becoming what God has made us to be. Right? And so as I'm still in process, I, I still sin. If I'm being honest with you, I sinned this morning. I didn't speak kindly to my boys. I needed to get here. I had certain things to do. One of them didn't want to brush their teeth. One of them didn't want to do that. And I got so frustrated. I'm like, what is wrong with you guys? And in my head, I'm calling them names. <laughs> Literally. That, that's sin, you guys, it is. That's not in line with the design of how God intends me to look at my boys and to think about them. That is not me acting in a manner that properly stewards for them and reveals to them the reflection of God's heart towards them. That's my flesh. That is me acting out in that moment. I'm, I'm fighting, I'm wrestling, going, Lord, let me just be patient, let me be kind, let me be loving. And you know what? I, I lost it. That's sin, and I need to acknowledge that. That's brokenness, right? Now, does that define me? No. Is that the end of my story? No. I'm going to go to this table, and I'm going to receive forgiveness for it. But we have to be willing to continue to talk about the reality of sin and brokenness, not just out there in the world, but in my heart and in my life. If this table is going to represent and be what God intended it to be, what Jesus instituted it to be when he says here, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. It's the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Let me tell you why this is important to, to talk about this reality of, of sin and forgiveness here at the table. I was listening recently to a podcast by a woman named Fleming Rutledge. Uh, she's an Episcopal priest who I've started reading the last few years. Really appreciate her heart. Uh, and she's being interviewed by, by this guy. And she's talking about the fact that at Columbia University right now in New York City, this was like last month I'm listening to this, there are philosophers and there are sociologists and they are doing really great work. And part of the work that they're doing is they're talking about the fact that they're, they're non-believers, so they have, they have a non-Christian worldview and paradigm. And they're talking about the fact that right now so many people in our world are looking at the state of the world, they're looking at the condition of the world, and they're overwhelmed, they're depressed, they're hurting, they're suffering. They have no sense of hope. Why? Because they actually don't have a framework for why the brokenness exists. They don't have a framework for sin. I appreciate what um, Richard Velotis says in his book, Good, Beautiful, and Kind, as he's talking about this. He says, we need sociology and we need psychology to help us understand our fractures, but it's actually theology that places them in their true and larger context. And what is that true and larger context? It's the context of Scripture. 
It's the story that God has written about this world that he created in love and the reality that it is broken, it is fractured. Why? Because of sin. Because people have said, no, God, I'm going to do this in my own way. I'm going to do this in my own time. I'm going to do this not in line with your design for it. And what does that produce? Fracturing, brokenness, and ultimately sin that leads to death. And Columbia University right now, they're wrestling with this. In one of the premier psychology and sociology departments in the country, they're wrestling with this reality. How do we help people actually through this? We have these methods, we have all these things, but this framework actually is not helping people have hope, have healing, experience wholeness. Why? Because they don't know how to deal with the reality of sin. I appreciate also what Barbara Taylor Brown, who's another Episcopal Episcopal priest, she says in her book, Uh, called Speaking of Sin. That's the title. She says this. She says, Abandoning the language of sin will not make sin go away. Human beings will continue to experience alienation, deformation, damnation, and death, no matter what we call them. Abandoning the language will simply leave us speechless before them and increase our denial of their presence in our lives. And you know what happens when when we increase the denial of something in our lives? Do you know what actually happens? it gains more and more power over us. And that's what's happening in the world. But we have been invited into a different story, right? We've been given a bigger context and understanding of why the sin, why the brokenness, why the suffering that I experience in here (laughs) and in my home and in the world can't abandon the reality of sin just by not talking about it or saying it doesn't exist. That actually only makes the problem worse. And so Jesus is really clear. Take this and eat this, my body. Take this and drink this, my blood poured out. For what? Why? For the forgiveness of sin. I have a good friend. His name is Bill Zolke, and um, he's a Catholic priest. And I've interacted with him in a number of times over the last few years uh, in spiritual direction settings and leadership trainings and different things. And it's interesting talking about the Lord's table with him because he comes from, he's Catholic and he comes from a Catholic background. And he's worked for years in the Catholic Church. And Catholics, one of the things that they always do when they take communion is they actually couple it with, with confession. And so for them, there's this very clear connection with, I need to make a confession of my sin before I go to the table. And for them, what he says, he says, it's funny because, again, working, being Catholic and growing up Catholic and working in the Catholic Church, he goes, I see Catholics actually understanding the reality of their forgiveness more like real and more holistically than most evangelicals that I've been interfacing with over the last few years. And it's been interesting to dialogue that with him. There's a lot of different reasons as to why, but he's like, you know, evangelicals, you guys talk about grace, right? You're saved by grace through faith. He goes, but I think your practice of actually engaging the table, it doesn't lead people to actually talk about the reality of of sin and confession. So that then when you come to the table, what are you coming for? Like, what are you being absolved of? What are you being forgiven for? If I can't acknowledge and recognize I have sin in my life still that needs to be forgiven, I'm coming to the table and I'm doing this act of, that's a vastly important incredibly mystical, but very powerful, but I'm doing it again without fully understanding and acknowledging going, I'm doing this. Why? Because I still have sin in my life that needs to be forgiven. I still have things going on in my life that are not yet transformed by the grace that I speak about. And he's like, I see, he says, he sees evangelical Christians over the last 10 years he's worked with them walking around with more guilt than the average Catholic walking around. Why do I share that? Because We have a lot of preconceived notions and convictions and judgments about Catholics, don't we, if we're honest? 
not, it's not relationship. It's not, you know, you know what I mean? I have a lot of Catholics in my family. I'm, I went to Catholic high school. I, I, you know, anyways. This table is a recognition again that it's the intersection of sin and forgiveness. And one of the things I want us to look at this morning is, is, is 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. I want to read this to us and talk about this is, this is the importance of, 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 again, acknowledging sin and confession as part of our experience of, of taking communion so that we can actually experience the forgiveness that we desire and not, not be burdened with guilt. Uh, John the Apostle writes this uh, in 1 John. He says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, John is giving an interplay here between a lot of different ways of expressing and talking about actually confession. The word confess literally means same speech or to speak the same as. When I confess, I'm speaking the same as God. God speaking and saying, the world is broken because of sin, and I have come here to save it and rescue it through my son, Jesus Christ. And John is saying, when we walk in light, meaning coming out of the hiding and confess and speak the same of God, that there is brokenness, not just in the world, brokenness in my life, and I confess that, he is faithful and he is just to do what? To forgive us of that sin that is acknowledged. And what does it say? It says, he's faithful. If we, if we say we have no sin, so meaning don't confess or we speak a lie, right? We deceive ourselves. Again, culture saying, don't talk about sin. Pretend like you don't have sin. There's none in your life. There's none in the world. It doesn't exist. A broken paradigm. If we walk in that reality, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? And what does all mean? All. We've played that game before, but I think it's important this morning. All means all. It's important for us to acknowledge, yes, there's sin in my life, but I can come and I can confess it, acknowledging that the blood of Christ is, is the, the, the home under which I live, the banner which is spread over me, the, the, the love that has been proclaimed over me, the freedom and the grace that is my covering. I can come and bring all of my sin into that. I don't have to leave it at the door. I don't have to dust it off with my shoes as I step in. No, I can bring it in here and I can bring it to this table and I can confess it to the Lord that yes, I have done that stuff. I have done these things. I have turned from you. I have rejected you. I have failed to remember you. I have strayed. I have looked for life where there is no life. And in doing that, acknowledging that, the word here says that he, God, is faithful and he is just to forgive us of all of the sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, that's powerful. That's good news. It's really, really good news. And that's what this table represents. That he is faithful and he is just, even when we're not. This table declares that there is more grace in God than there is sin in me. 
that there is more love in God for this world than there is brokenness in this world. That there is more power in the humility and acknowledging the pain and the suffering than there is in posturing and pretending strength and having it all together. There's freedom to be found in this act of communion that the Lord has instructed us to take and to do together as an act of remembering him, who he is and what he has done for us. And so we move from not only um, sorrow and celebration to sin and to forgiveness, but from brokenness to, to unity. I appreciate again what Soon Chan Ra was talking about there, about the table being the intersection of these places. That this table is actually what unifies us. When we talk about unity within the body of Christ, this is the provision for it. Why? Because according to Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But the gift of God is forgiveness and righteousness through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this table reminds us we're all on a level playing field in here. doesn't matter what degree you have. doesn't matter how much you make or don't make. doesn't matter your, your ethnicity. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter. You are welcome to the table of, of God. You are welcome in the family of God. How and why? Through the confession of my sin and my brokenness and my need for a Savior whose name is Jesus, who laid down everything for me so that I could be brought home, so that I could be reunited with God, my Creator so that I could be reunited with a body and a family in this world that represents and is an outpost of the reality of the kingdom of God. This is what unites us. Not because we're in the same missional community, not because we live in the same neighborhood, not because, again, none of that stuff. Actually, one of the things I love about our communities, I can look here and I see a diversity of ethnicities and socioeconomics and jobs and everything. Like, it's beautiful. And what is it that unites us? It's this. There's actually nothing else that I could probably put in front of this group of people that I'm looking at and go, let's go, get, you know, let's all get around this. You guys be like, ah, eh, no, cool, no, no thanks. But this, <laughs> this is what does it. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins, and the celebration that we're free and forgiven. That unites us as well. And then we can take things and say, let's go serve some people together. And we go, yes, let's do that. Why? Because it's a representation of the body of Christ. It's a representation of the story that we believe. That Christ came and he walks among us and he's with us. He suffers with us. He cares for the hurting. He's compassionate. His heart is for justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so we can go out and represent and do those things together and be united in that. Why? Because first and foremost, we're united by this table. Unity in the midst of brokenness. In community, but also within my life. Because again, this table reminds me, my life is fractured. I am being pulled in different areas and in different things. There are a lot of pressures. And I try to soothe, and I try to push against, and I try to do all that. And I I don't feel whole all the time. But this table is my wholeness. This table brings unity even to me in the midst of the different areas of brokenness that I fight against. And we move from unity and brokenness to, to suffering and, and hope. Again, this table does allow us to remember that, that Christ suffered with us, that he enters in. It gives us actually again the freedom to acknowledge my suffering. It again, it allows me to be authentic and an authentic person, a real person, to say I, I have suffering, but to remember and to know that it's not the end. 
But that is not the final chapter. That is not the final, the final word. I, I love how the way that Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he was instructing uh, the church there to have a, a better understanding of, of the Lord's Supper, uh, he writes and he says this in 1 Corinthians. And he says this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, right, remembering that reality of, of that suffering, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he took the bread. And when he had take, given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to think about that statement for a second. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You don't proclaim the coming of someone who's dead. They're dead. But what is, what is Paul talking about? What's he pointing to? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. He's saying you're proclaiming, every time we take this, we're not only proclaiming his death, but we're also proclaiming his resurrection. And that's the hope is that where we live at this intersection of all these things in this reality of the now but not yet, again, it's not the end. It's not the final story. So we're proclaiming his death. We're also proclaiming his resurrection. And we're proclaiming that he's coming again. That Christ has died. That Christ has risen. That Christ will come again. And I'm aligning myself with the reality of the story of another king and another kingdom. Acknowledging that this place here ultimately is not my home. That everything that we're experiencing, everything that we're doing here, other than a human soul, is temporal. As things are right now, everything around us in this world is temporal, other than the human souls. But even the casing of my human soul is temporal. When Christ comes back and he resurrects and he resurrects us, we're going to have resurrection bodies, we're told. You'll recognize me, I think, the same way that they recognize Christ. But it was a new and glorified, it was a resurrected body, it was different. Everything, you guys, in this world right now as it is, is temporal, other than the human soul. Which is why us understanding what this is is so important and how and why we take it is so important. Because if we're going to be an authentic community that makes Jesus Christ fully known so that others can come to fully know him, we need to regularly practice being a confessing community that comes to the table, receives the Lord's Supper, in faith, acknowledging again that Jesus' death and resurrection was for me. And also for the world to receive. And I am now commissioned from this table to go out into the world and to share the reality of that story, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But I actually don't have good news to proclaim unless I come to this table acknowledging that this is my source of freedom, that this is my source of forgiveness. Because I do have sin and brokenness in my life that I need to be set free from. That I do function often still like Israel in slavery and then in wandering and needing to return and remember over and over and over again to the truth of who Jesus is and therefore who I am as a sinner saved by grace through faith in his body broken for me and his blood shed for me. Amen? And this table reminds us, you guys, that there's more love in Jesus than there is sin in this world.
There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in me. There's more power in God than there is in the, in the, in the hurt and in the pain and the suffering that we see in this world. And one day he is coming back to restore and make things right again. Restore it all to himself for his glory, for his goodness. Here's the final part of, of, of what I, I want to lead us in today. One of the things that I've been thinking about um, is again how much we view the table also as very individualistic. Which when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the very first night, he looked at all of them together and he said, take this, all of you. It was, it was a unifying act. Yes, it had individual significance in needing to represent the individual sin, but that again, it was a communal act being done together. And again, I think in our culture and even sometimes as we've come out of, you know, what we've come out of and, and, and wandering in a sense in these, this season, uh, just needing to remember certain practices and re-engage them with, with proper depth and meaning and value. I think sometimes, again, communion has become just, just too individual. But it's actually a communal practice. Again, it's a unifying thing that we do together. And so I would like us as a community to begin to practice together a prayer of confession before we take community. Before we take communion, excuse me. And part of that, again, is conversations of just having with people. And a lot of people just being honest. Going, I, don't, I actually don't know how to confess. <laughs> I actually don't know what, what, I, what I should confess. Again, our, our kind of structures and systems often don't lead and guide us in that. Different people's upbringings do or don't bring you to a place of knowing, what, what do I even talk about in that, in that confession? And so on Good Friday, again, we, we, we said a prayer together before we took communion. And I want to make that, at least for a season, a, a regular rhythm and habit for us to do as a community together. This communal prayer of confession that I hope will help lead and guide us together in a, in a new way, of, again, of understanding what this table is and what it represents. And part of that is this, and even as I say that, some of you might be going, ah, I want to do my own thing, whatever. Here, here, here's part of my heart in that, is that I think um, doing something together in, in, in community, again, unites us in the truth and in the reality, but also the repetition of it is actually really good for us as people. Again, something that, that we don't often want to do is repeat things over and over and over again. We think, oh, you know, whatever. But psychology... In sociology and the science world has actually shown repetition over and over and over again, it is effective. It actually does ground us in things. It actually does bring transformation. And I think sometimes, again, we in our faith go, just, ah, I don't want to have to repeat that. or I don't, want to, I don't want to look at the same verse and over. I want to read through the whole Bible in this year. What if you actually just sat and soaked in a scripture for the whole year? What might that do? Sorry, that was a tangent. <clears throat> but repeating things over and over and going, Lord, would you work through this in me? And so would you put up the, the prayer of confession for me this morning? I want to read through this, and then I'm going to actually lead and guide us through taking communion. But this, on Good Friday, we read this together. It's a, it's a, a prayer that uh, yeah, Joel, Joel and I were having this conversation. We were looking at different ones, and we landed together going, I, th I think this is, this is the one. This prayer of confession that acknowledges, and I'm, just, I'm going to read it here once before we read it together in a moment. Which is, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word and deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. I'm inviting you with me from kind of this Sunday forward to engage in this, this, this communion liturgy together.
to engage in this common prayer together that I hope will be, in a sense, maybe training wheels for us to relearn what it is and why it is that we engage this table. Even think about what and why and how do we do the practice of confession. Acknowledging sin in a holistic manner, that it's in word, that it's in thought, that it's in deed, that it's both the things that I do and it's the things that I left undone. But remembering that this table represents the reality that all means all. (laughs) And I can bring all of it. I'm forgiven for all of it. And I can leave and walk out of here with freedom, in grace, empowered, remembering the good news each week, and now going out into the world and living in that grace and living in that freedom and being more ready to proclaim the good news which has been represented to us through this table. You guys tracking with me? So this morning, I want to take communion together. It'll be a little different. But here's what I want to invite you to do. In a moment, I want to invite you to, to stand up. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have made a, pro- a profession that you believe that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that he is your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to stand up. I want to invite you to come forward. Uh, I'll have you come through the center this time. And I'd like you to come and take a piece of the bread which represents Christ's body broken for you. And there is gluten-free here as well. And then I would like you to take a cup which represents the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And I'd like you to take it and just to take it back to your seat. Can we do that this morning? We're just kind of practicing here a little bit. So let me, let me read this and then we'll, we'll do that. And yeah, this is again Paul's proclamation as he was teaching the Corinthian church how to properly observe communion. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Missio, this morning, if, again, you have professed Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I want to invite you to come forward to this table to take the bread and to take the juice. Don't take it yet, though, and return to your seat. Would you do that with me? Okay, the table is open to come forward. I miss you as a family together. Would you, we're going to do two things now. I want us to pray this prayer of confession together. And then I want you to, in your own words after that, begin to confess what you need to before you take the elements. Does that make sense? But as a family together this morning, acknowledging that we're united by this table and our need for this table, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, Our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, and deed, in what we have done and what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen.
And after you've taken a moment, again, to express in your own way just your, your need for forgiveness, you're free to take the body and the blood of Christ represented for you and the forgiveness of your sin. And then the band's going to lead us in worship. Amen.